Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. And of course, we're talking commercial real estate, and today we're talking multifamily and apartments. We're going to share with you some investment market information, including some cap rate trends. We're going to talk about property performance and what the trends are there and what to expect moving forward. And we'll share some management and investment tips. Please welcome my first guest. It's Jay Parsons. He's Director of Analytics with RealPage. Jay, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate it. And it looks like the apartment market has just been doing incredibly well performance-wise for, for many years. What's the, what are the trends right now? Well, I think as we talked about last quarter, the interesting thing so far this year has been a tone of, of, of cautious exuberance where uh, a lot of exuberance because the market continues to do very well, but some caution because you know things have been going on going so well for so long, I mean, six-plus years now, that there's some nervousness and trying to read every little tea leaf about what's happening mm-hmm. in the market. But certainly the overall fundamentals are still uh, very, very strong. Yeah, so what are you seeing for um, occupancy levels? Where are they today? Where is that trending? Uh, we're up to 96.2%, so that's up uh, 40 basis points for uh, over the quarter in Q2 and uh, up 20 basis points year over year. So um, very tight. Uh, a lot of supply coming online and, and more in lease up, but it really has an impact. It really hasn't driven up vacancies, at least on a, on a national level. Right. So that's interesting. So nationally, even though people are raising rents and new supplies coming online, you're still seeing an increase in the occupancy levels. Yeah, there's there's very strong demand wow. in the marketplace. Um, you know, one of the stories in Q1, which got a lot of attention, including Wall Street Journal, other places, was a little bit of softening in demand during the winter months. But you know, it's it's a slow leasing season anyway. And but when Q Q2 is really what we're watching for, because that's when the peak leasing season starts, and that was going to really tell us a lot more about this year than than Q1. And so the good news for the apartment industry is is we saw a a very phenomenal uh, demand number in Q2. Uh, our very strong absorption overall. We had nearly 130,000 units absorbed, which uh, is is one of the best quarters we've had in this entire cycle. Wow. And does that surprise you, Jay, to see it going this well for this long? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I, I think... Um, um, I think it, when you look at the underlying factors in the economy, you know, demographic, steady job growth, uh, the, the fact that most of the, the prime people, uh, renter age group, the millennials, uh, regardless of, of uh, other factors, I mean, they're in a life stage right now where a lot of them are just going to be, be renting. And even as the oldest ones start to go look at house, uh, houses, whether they're renting or buying those houses, you have uh, still a lot of people coming into adulthood, graduating high school, graduating college. So uh, you have very strong demand drivers, and you have, uh, at the same time, an economy that, uh, while it's been uh, inconsistent this year, it's, it's overall been still positive. And, and so you have just a lot of demand in the marketplace, and, and, uh, that's, and so the apartment industry is, is riding that wave. Yeah, well, that's great. And uh, so what's that doing to rental rates? Uh, I know we've had some really uh, abnormally strong, it seems like, when you look at it historically, uh, rental rate increases. Uh, what's the trend uh, so far this year? Um, we year-over-year year, rents are up 4.6%, um, very strong number, around 5% still. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a, a glass-half-empty person, you look at that and you say, well, we're down a little bit from the peak, uh, which was last fall. We were north of 5%, but you know, I mean, if you're glass half empty, uh, every glass half full, I should say, you look at that and say, hey, you know, still being around 5%, that's uh, very, that's very, very strong, obviously. Um, you know, you, if, you can, if you look at these last six years, you know, we've averaged 
annual rent growth for uh, um, for new leases right around 3.8%. If you compare that to the previous up cycle in the mid 2000s, it was uh, 2.8%. So, you know, we're we're above the cycle's averages right now, and this entire cycle has just been you know so far above what we had even in the uh, the, the last uh, the last up cycle. Yeah, that's great, and uh, and and good news, and uh, and I think it also means something. The, the economy is doing well. You know, we we're getting a little more job growth, and uh, but there's been a big push for urban right apartments. That seems like you know we we do a lot of work around the Atlanta market, and all our developers you know want to buy in town, and we sold a lot of in town sites. But we're starting to see some interest in sites moving a little further out. What do you see around the country with the kind of the urban suburban yeah that's a that's a great topic today and and i'll tell you you know the conventional wisdom of urban being the high barrier to entry you know that that's that's no longer true uh, or even close to true it's uh what, what's happening is is developers and obviously the, the investors behind them have uh have voted with their money and they've said that urban's where they want to be and historically think about that barrier to entry well, it's really been time and money, and you have so much institutional capital. You have foreign capital that they're targeting the big cities. They're targeting downtown submarkets. You know, they're looking at some of those drivers that are, that are you know, influencing urban uh, trends, and 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 those are certainly there. There are there is strong demand in those spots. Um, you know, we don't see affordability as an issue either. But the issue is starting to become just the fact that there's so much new product uh, priced at very high rents, competing for. Uh, the same pool of renters. And so in some areas, you do have, I think, an issue of potential commoditization of supply um, and just in, in, in the record numbers that we're seeing. I mean, nationally, we're looking at 5% inventory growth levels in downtown submarkets and sustaining that through 2017 compared to less than 2% in the suburbs. So when we talk to developers and investors, what we're really hearing right now is that the real barriers to entry is getting in those those really strong, vibrant sub, uh, suburban areas that are close to jobs, close to you know good retail, high home values, uh, major transportation. You know, those are the spots where you have really restrictive zoning, you have nimbyism. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the credit of developers, we're not seeing a whole lot of suburban sprawl, the kind of stuff that gets you in trouble, but that infill, you know, good suburban stuff, that's the, that, those, that's the product that's just really going strong right now and really has been this whole cycle. That's been the cream of the crop. And if for developers, you know, if you could get into those spots, that that's where the real opportunity remains. Yeah, that's great. We're talking with Jay Parsons, director of analytics with RealPage. So, Jay, you know, we're hearing the lenders are pulling back a little bit. They're being a little more cautious, especially on new construction. Is that impacting new supply, or are developers pulling back any? Yeah, it's it's definitely an impact. Um, you, you know, one of the things that's that's different in this cycle is is lenders. Uh, and particularly the banks uh, are, are 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 very uh, they're they're listening to the regulators and the uh, the Federal Reserve and the OCC, which is the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, uh, they've come out and they've made statements suggesting that commercial real estate and multifamily in particular um, could be overheating, and that's made uh, many of the lenders pretty nervous. I mean, they they, they uh, given what happened on the single family side and other issues that we went through as an industry. You know that they 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 have no interest in challenging the regulators, <laughs> and so we are seeing um, the we we are seeing a lot when we talk to lenders they're much more apprehensive about approving uh, particularly development loans, and we talk to our clients we're definitely seeing and hearing anecdotally uh, a slowdown in new starts that are getting funded. So, 
that's not necessarily a bad thing, but but mm-hmm. uh, because um, you know we are building a lot of supply, particularly in these urban areas, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, but the implication is that at this point it looks like we'll probably peak in terms of supply deliveries by right around the midpoint of 2017. So there's a lot more to come. And for those who've already built or they've already, uh, you know, starting to compete with a lot of this new supply, you know, it's probably not a bad thing to think that perhaps we're not going to further accelerate or sustain those kind of levels into 2018. What are you hearing about financing for existing projects? Are lenders still uh, happy with existing projects or are they being a little more cautious there as well? Uh, not nearly as much caution there. I think uh, caution in certain areas. Um, you know, certainly uh, there's there's a lot more. Um, I think what what's really happening is is lenders are being careful not to further expand their exposure to multifamily. Uh, multifamily has been the fastest growing loan category for banks, and uh, we've seen that uh, grow to right around four percent of, uh, of balance sheet loans for for the for banks nationally. Um, which isn't a huge number, but it's the biggest it's been in, you know, on record since the FDIC has been tracking it going back to the early 90s. So I, I think what, what you're going to see is, is a little bit of tightening, but, but primarily just to avoid further expanding their exposure. Um, and certainly just pro- probably, uh, you know, really, I, I think a lot of them are going to take care of their best clients, but they're going to be apprehensive about taking, a lot of, taking on a lot of new ones. So your forecast is uh, you're bullish on apartments moving forward for the next few years? Yeah, we're still bullish. Um, we think the composition of what's driving it's going to change, uh, and is changing. Um, you looked at, you know, you think about this cycle, six and a half years in. Early on, it was um, your your urban Class A stuff really driving that. Quickly, it was you know suburban, particularly your higher end suburban that started to perform well. That urban stuff has cooled down, uh, still doing well, but it's cooled down. Your top tier suburban still just crushing it, and even the lower tier suburban stuff is now doing really really well. Um, and so we think going forward, you're going to continue to see, uh, particularly the top-tier suburban areas, do uh, uh, see some very strong rent growth. Uh, you still have some leg in some of these late recovery markets, uh, you know, your, your bust markets like Phoenix, Vegas, Southern California. Those kind of there's still some legs for additional, uh, you know, strong rent growth there. Even as you start to see uh, other spots that have been strong for the cycle, like the Bay Area, uh, which has started to slow down a little bit. So you're, you're going to see some more, I think, noise in the data. Uh, but overall, I think the macro trends are going to be uh, going to be favorable. All right. Well, Jay Parsons, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you'd like more information from Jay, visit realpage.com. And stay with us. We have Doug Culkin next. He's the uh, National Apartment Association leader, and we'll get some inside tips from Doug. Stay with us. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit getvaluate.com. That's getvaluate.com. Michael Wall. Today we're talking multifamily, the apartment industry, and I'm honored to welcome my next guest, Doug Culkin. He's president of the National Apartment Association. He's joining us on the phone. Doug, Doug, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Well, Doug, you have a lot of members around the country. How do your members feel about where we are in the cycle right now? Well, I think right now um, 
obviously we're we're at all-time highs for uh, occupancy rates around the country. Uh, nationally, I think we're trending at, at about 95%, maybe a little bit higher than that, which is an all-time high. Uh, and this has really been a this uh, those rates have have increased almost every quarter since you know the subprime meltdown in 2008, 2009. And at the same time, uh, we've noticed that um, home ownership uh, percentages have decreased every quarter. So uh, I think the, the industry is very pleased where, with where we are. We're, we're still not putting on the number of units, new units that are needed each year. I think the industry needs about 400,000 new units each year. And I think the best year we've had, we've, we've had a net of about 220,000 uh, new units have been added okay. to the inventory. So right. it's looking very it's looking very bright for the industry if everything holds without you know the economy going into the dumper again. Yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, where's all this? What are the major factors, Doug, that are creating this demand, and and how long might those uh, that last? Well, I think you know we have we have two our two largest uh, generations by population, the boomers and the millennials, are big users now of multifamily. As the boomers are, uh, are selling their primary homes and they're at a point where they can afford uh, a class A apartment, if you will, and they no longer want all of the responsibilities of maintenance and everything that goes with keeping your home up, moving into, they have the money where they can move into a nice apartment and be happy in it. Uh, the, the millennials on the other side I think the last uh, piece of information I saw is that the millennial generation has something in excess of $8 trillion in college debt. Hmm. So if you consider any young, young man or young woman graduating from college with, say, maybe $150,000 in, in accumulated student loans, that's the equivalent of, of your first mortgage. It's certainly bigger yeah. than the first mortgage I had. Me too. Uh, and, you know, those student loans pay out uh, over a lot shorter period of time than I uh, than a mortgage does. So where's, we're postulating, and a lot of the evidence that we're seeing from people who are involved uh, indicates that the millennials will be in, in uh, rental housing for a lot longer than uh, their, their earlier counterparts have been. Right. Um, and it could be they could be in their mid-30s before they're looking at purchasing their, their I, first home. So I see. that's a significant factor. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we're finding more and more people prefer the flexibility mm-hmm. of renting versus owning a home, uh, particularly, again, in the millennial generation as they, as they move from job to job or they get transferred around the country within their, within their current um, job. It's, it's a lot easier to get out of, um, you know, a lease than it is to, to get out of a mortgage, put your home on the market, sell it you know, all of the stuff that you have to do it. And a lot of our member companies, if if they're national in scope and, and you happen to move from the East Coast to the West Coast and you move into one of their properties, their communities, on say, on the West Coast, um, you know, a lot of them have worked to waive, uh, you know, early, early termination of leases because they know they're going to get you on the other side wherever you're moving. Wow. So our members have been very smart in doing something that, that, like that. And we're seeing trends like this, Michael, uh, are what's, you know, looking very good to the industry. And a lot of the data we're seeing say that this could go into the, into the mid-2020s. Uh, 
Well, that's good news for the industry. And uh, we're talking with Doug Culkin. He's president of the National Apartment Association. And Doug, one of the questions I have for you, and uh, maybe some of the listeners would be curious about is the affordability of apartments. You know, we've seen apartment rents really increase uh, quite a bit over the last several years, but yet we've not had tremendous wage growth. Is there any, are there any concerns about affordability in the industry? Yeah, I think most of my members and I, and certainly my leadership, is concerned about what we call workforce housing. Uh, the teachers, the nurses, the firemen, the policemen. Uh, how are they going to be able to afford to you know, to live in the same communities that they they work in. And, you know, we we are really would love to see the cities, um, you know, work with us on making sure that, that, you know, fees that are charged in order to approve a community range, you know, around the country. Um, you know, in, in Indiana, it might be $15,000 a unit before you put your first shovel into the ground. And recently, when we had our conference in, in San Francisco last month, we heard that in San Francisco and in, in Berkeley, it can go as high as $198,000 a unit. Whoa, just the fee? Just a fee to get, to get it approved so wow. you can go ahead and put that for a shovel in the ground. And if you're paying, a, you know, on a 200-unit building and you have 198000 uh, per door, you're looking at a significant fee you know that obviously goes either comes out of cash or goes into a uh, or goes into a mortgage and with an upfront cost like that how do you charge you can't charge rents yeah. that your you know your nurse or a policeman could afford so we are concerned about that um, and you know we would really love to work with local municipalities in in coming up with um programs that that help us to accommodate that need yeah. uh, you know they're always saying we need the workforce housing and it, it can't just be on the on the multifamily owner operated developer you know to take the hit so we've got to work together to see if we can come up with a with a solution that works across the board and and achieves the goal of creating that workforce housing Absolutely. you know in a, in a nice livable product at a price that that is affordable. Absolutely. Those fees seem outrageous. And, you know, one of the things that I guess are helping affordability is, you know, reducing the size of uh, these apartments, right? Uh, there's, there's, been a, there's been a definite move toward micro units, which are typically anywhere from, you know, 400 to 500 square feet, significantly smaller than, you know, your average one bedroom that, that you have. You can put a lot more of these into a building. You can get it. You can get it into a pricing uh, package that that makes it affordable. And we're seeing we're seeing growth in that in in New York City, Washington D.C. on the West Coast. Uh, and again, those also are areas of the country where the rates tend to be higher than we have, um, you know, in the secondary and tertiary cities. So, uh, you know, we're looking and hoping that that growth will continue. Uh, but you know. That's that's one answer, but w- when you need bigger when you need bigger units, where you need uh, you know a two or three bedroom, where multiple people are going to be working together and living together to to share that rent, um, we we get back to being able to work with hopefully the local municipalities and, and come up with fees that are um, that are easier to deal with, and obviously. Um, meet the goal of creating more rental housing because yeah. that's yeah. the big thing, particularly in the in, in the inner cities. Yeah. 
Michael, mm-hmm. I think we're saying that they, there is a definite need for for more units to be con- to be built and come online. Yeah, that's true. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. It's always great to be with you. If you'd like more information, uh, visit uh, naahq.org and stay with us. We're going to have a developer and a manager get an inside look at the industry, including some tips. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you interested in the senior housing industry? Well, you're invited to attend the third annual Interface Senior Housing Southeast Conference. It will be August 24th and 25th in Atlanta at the Westin Buckhead. For more information, visit CREshow.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the multifamily sector. Please welcome my next guest. It's Zeev Cohen. He's president of Resmark Apartment Living. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Michael. How are you? We appreciate you being on the show. And if you will, uh, give us a, a quick rundown on uh, Resmark. Okay. Uh, well, Resmark Apartment Living is a uh, both an equity provider and a direct owner in the multifamily ground-up development space. Uh, we operate uh, basically from San Diego all the way up to Seattle, uh, Phoenix, and uh, Denver. Okay. So you're providing equity and you're developing your own projects. So it's all new development? Yes, that's correct. All new development and uh, basically starting from uh, uh, the entitlement process all the way through uh, uh, construction and uh, uh, stabilization of uh, apartment projects. Okay. And I know you guys do all sizes of apartments, but uh, I know you also have done a few micro uh, projects. How are those uh, going, and, and what's different about developing and, and owning a property uh, that has the smaller units? Right. We're actually very excited about the uh, uh, proposition of uh, micro units. Really, the way we like to uh, look at them is more as uh, more efficient living spaces. And the way that uh, those uh, units and those projects are developed is we make more efficient units with, uh, with the ability for livability with a lot of lights, with a lot of windows into the smaller units. And uh, at the same time, we invest more money and, and, and more attention to the common areas, making them more uh, socially inviting to uh, generate some kind of a uh, social interaction uh, between the tenants. We, we think that given the demographic that is uh, gravitating towards that product, which is mainly the millennials, um, it creates the ability for them to generate uh, uh, meaningful social interactions and have more affordable units just given the size of the uh, of the unit that they live in. So what's the initial reaction that you guys find when a tenant walks in a unit this size that maybe hasn't seen them before? Well, they uh, definitely are very well amenitized. Uh, so uh, you're looking at uh, brand new units, uh, very, uh, very well uh, uh, attention to detail, uh, stainless steel appliances, uh, hard surface countertops, um, um, wood laminate type uh, flooring. Mm. So when you look at the at the unit, it's it's really impressive, 
and with additional light coming into the unit uh, through bigger uh, oversized windows to a, to a unit of that size, I think that the, uh, the, visual, uh, the visual viewpoint uh, changes and then, you know, the walk through the amenity uh, package that is related to the building uh, is, is basically what makes the, uh, uh, the final selection for the, for the tenant. Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, it's a nice environment they're walking into, Zeev. So tell us a little bit about some of the amenities that you're putting in your newer projects that, that maybe wasn't uh, there several years ago. Right. So the amenity situation is actually more for uh, all of the uh, new developments that, uh, that we would put in. And if you allow me just for a second, I will talk about really, uh, from our perspective, we're focused geographically within our targeted markets on, uh, on two product offerings. One of them is the uh, uh, core adjacent uh, product offering, which is basically allows our tenants to have extremely close walkable proximity to uh, uh, urban core downtowns, uh, while at the same time not being right in the mix of, uh, of uh, where uh, uh, all the uh, employment and all the entertainment is happening. So we have a little bit of a step back from that perspective. Our other product offering is what we call the uh, uh, suburban, uh, the urbanized suburban environment in which we uh, position our projects to be within very close walkable proximity to public transportation, uh, what we call in our industry TOD-type development. And within those, we do traditional-sized units, and we do micro-sized units or small-sized units. And the amenities uh, range from um, things that are targeted towards millennials and, and, and uh, uh, amenities that are targeted towards uh, um, baby boomers that are uh, probably at downsizing. Um, so there's a combination of, uh, of attention to detail. We have uh, um, Wi-Fi lounges. We have shared workspace, workspace uh, places. We have bike storages uh, in order to uh, uh, promote and motivate uh, less uh, engine-based uh, transportation. Uh, we have dog or, or pet um, uh, washing stations. Um, we've been really focused on on the needs of our of our tenants as uh, as they are today. And tell us uh, briefly about the the bike shop. Well, the bike shop is actually pretty exciting. It's uh, it's a combination of storage as well as the ability to actually work on your on your bike. It's uh, it's a stationary uh, uh, um, bike pump. It's a, it's a workshop that allows them to, uh, to adjust their bikes. Uh, it has a toolbox in it. It's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting. And you see bikes from all, all walks of life. You see your, uh, your beach cruiser and you see your uh, very expensive uh, road bike that, uh, that races on, uh, on the weekends. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty uh, fun uh, and exciting place. Another element of, of uh, trying to uh, promote uh, less engine-based uh, transportation or at least promote less pollution, uh, we have uh, electric car chargers in our, uh, in our garages and, uh, and things of that nature. 
Yeah, that's very cool. I like that. You can come in and plug in, uh, also store your bike and work on your bike. And I like your, your two areas of expertise, core adjacent and urbanized suburban. Well, Zeev, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the Commercial Real Estate Show. My pleasure, Michael. I appreciate you having me. And if you'd like more information, visit resmark.com. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll have more on the apartment sector. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-7227. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us today. Today we're talking about multifamily, the apartment industry. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jay Maderi. Jay is CEO of JVM Realty, and he's uh, joining us on the phone today. Jay, thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for inviting me on the show, Michael. Well, Jay, to get us started, tell us a little bit about what you guys do at JVM Realty. Uh, what uh, size properties and uh, geographic areas you cover? Sure. JVM Realty owns and operates class A and B garden style in mid-rise apartment communities and secondary and tertiary Midwest markets across the greater Midwestern area. Our current portfolio is located in uh, suburban Chicago. We're in Cleveland, Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And, you know, looking at that kind of Midwest area, is there a certain advantage to you guys and to your investors of uh, investing in those markets? I know we talked to a lot of people on the show, and they're on the East Coast and the West Coast. Sure. Um, well, our investors are primarily high net worth individuals that we've developed relationships with over many years. And so we, we raise the equity from them directly and privately. Our investment strategy is, is focused on, on four things. Well, number one is we're, we think we can find higher returns within the Midwestern secondary markets. Cash flow is, is king for our investor base. Our investors are interested in appreciation, but looking for immediate cash flow from day one. So we found some really strong opportunities to create both of those in these uh, secondary and tertiary Midwestern markets. We also find less volatility in the Midwest, both the highs and the lows, historically been a cyclical business, as you know, and we found that in the Midwest, while we don't see the highs, as you may see in some of the coastal and core markets, we don't see uh, the dramatic lows in the downturns either. So it's very steady. We also find less competition from institutional, international investors, pension funds, and some of the larger REITs that are chasing assets in those primary and core markets, be it in the east or southeast or the west. With private investment dollars, it's hard to compete on on both the terms and pricing, given that some of those investors have lower return hurdles. Third is pricing. Because of that competition, we see cap rates compressing in those gateway and and core markets. We see cap rates in our Midwestern markets that are, are typically 50 to 100 basis points higher than those other markets. And since we have access to the same you know, great financing in this environment. We're able to produce higher yields for our investors. And then finally, we're a fully integrated apartment management company from the identifying of the investments, creating the strategy. We also execute on the asset management and property management side. And so since we are hands-on, our, 
appreciation in our communities comes from managing expenses and optimizing the revenue. And with our headquarters in the Chicago area, we're centrally located and allows, allows us to have close contact and give support to our portfolio. Right. Well, those are some good reasons to focus on that area. When you think about investing in apartments, most people are you know, first and primarily looking for cash flow, right? And so if you can right. get a cap rate that's 50 to 100 basis points higher, I mean, you're just you're you're winning in the beginning, right? Right, and it's, it's the same debt. I, you know, we're finding great this low interest rate environment allows for fantastic cash flow with uh, the increased cap rates. Right, and it's interesting too because you're not having it to compete with these foreign investors that uh, we're competing with in some of these markets. Or brokering properties, you'll see a foreign investor that you know they've, like you said, they can buy a, at a lower cap rate because they're trying to just protect their money. Well, what about uh, your uh, occupancy and your rents in those markets? How has that been trending? Well, we're, we're continuing to see strong rent growth and very high high occupancies. They're very healthy, vibrant markets. Sometimes that's forgotten. Our typical rent growth in our portfolio has been three to five percent, and occupancies in excess of ninety five percent across the portfolio. And we still think there's a lot of runway to grow the rents in our portfolio. Uh, residents are making strong incomes. They're paying less for housing because they're, you know, this renters by choice concept you read about. They have the capacity and, and willingness to pay more for a quality product and, and superior service. So that is what we're focusing on. Right. So are your residents then in those areas uh, possibly have a less rent. So I know some, some apartment communities, say they want to seem to pay the uh, rent with one week's pay or, or two weeks' pay. Uh, your tenants have more income? Well, yeah, I, I use this example with our investors when describing our investment strategy. It's if we're ultimately in increasing the value of a property, you have to increase the revenue. So obviously we manage expenses, but we find the most value to be gained through increasing revenue. And if we compare our one of our properties in Kansas City, for instance, with a property in San Francisco, we're using to qualify our residents a three times rent. So meaning that they have to make gross income each month at three times whatever the rental rate is. Okay. So an average Kansas City rent being $1,000 a month compared to an average rent in San Francisco, for instance, which is $3,900 a month, our residents will qualify with a $36,000 a year uh, salary or income, whereas in San Francisco, uh, that for the a- same average apartment would have to make in excess of $140,000 a year. So when we're talking about increasing rents, if we're looking to increase rents 5% in Kansas City, it's, it's on an average apartment, it'd be $50 increase a month, right. which would require $600 in annual income. If you're looking at the same increase in San Francisco, a 5% increase would represent almost $200 wow a month increase, which is would require an additional $7,000 in annual income. So yeah. I think we have a lot of runway uh, in our Midwestern market where I, I believe in some of these other markets where these rents are already very, very high. They're going to reach a, a plateau yeah. where there's going to be an affordability ceiling. Well, affordability is a big issue. And stay tuned. We'll take a quick break. We'll have more on management tips for apartment owners. Stay with us. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit commercialsearch.com. 
welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking multifamily with Jay Maderi. He's CEO of JVM Realty. And Jay, you guys have some pretty innovative practices there in your management. Tell us about JVM Peticate. Sure. Well, as, as you know, Michael, uh, we all love our pets these days, <laughs> right. and our demographic in particular is very pet-centric. So to differentiate our communities, uh, we developed and branded recently our JVM pet Kit program. And it's intended to embrace our residents' pets and provide amenities for them, while also encouraging responsible pet ownership. So the way that works is our residents will sign a commitment or pledge with us when they move in, and uh, whereby they need to register their pets and provide us with up-to-date vaccination records. They also commit to spaying and neutering their pets and training them so they'll be well-behaved and are quiet as possible. They're never perfect. But then they also commit to cleaning up after their pets. And we do provide you know, the doggy waste baskets and doggy bags throughout the community because we want to embrace pet ownership. The reality is the majority of our residents don't have pets. I think we typically see 30% or so of our residents that do have pets. And so we don't want to detract from the quality of life of those who aren't interested in, in having the pets. So by embracing this responsible pet ownership, we hope to both attract pet responsible pet owners, but also those that don't have pets. And in return, as our two-legged residents do, <laughs> our four-legged residents pay rent as well. <laughs> so it's, it's a great source of revenue at our properties. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, if you go to, to a mean dog and trying to collect rent, that's got to be tough, right? We try. We go to the owners first. That tends to be more effective. Yeah, I guess it is. Well, Jay, what are some other ways you guys are uh, adding to bottom and top line numbers there? Yeah, sure. We, As with communities have done for, for many years, we um, provide incentives to our residents for referring other residents to move into the property. That is usually one of the best sources of referrals. So... What we do instead of the traditional uh, cash payments or reduction of rents for referrals is we've initiated the JVM Rewards Program, which uses a third-party vendor and allows us to brand uh, reward points that we give to our residents for anything from referrals or, or doing a, you know anything good around the property. And it allows them to go to a website and they can accumulate those reward points and spend them as they choose through many different retailers on uh, on this site. And it's a great way of building the brand and, and building a loyal base of uh, residents. Yeah, I really like that because I, I would think that, you know, you'd be more top of mind to refer a potential residents. You're getting a gift, right? <laughs> you have You're getting a gift fun. and it's a little more personal than yeah. uh, cash is great, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's sometimes forgotten in the value. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. So so you mentioned they can do other things to, to get these reward points? Well, in some cases where we have a lack of inventory and somebody wants to see a floor plan, we may contact a resident and, and they allow us to show their unit. And that, mm -hmm. that's just an example of another way we may utilize those points. Oh, that's interesting. Are you guys using social media as well? We are. We are uh, have a comprehensive social media program targeting residents and future residents and also potential employees. We're on uh, Facebook, company website, LinkedIn, and our multifamily forum blog. Yeah, well, that's excellent. Well, we'll have to connect with you there as well. And, Jay, thanks for being on the show today. We appreciate uh, your time and uh, your, your advice. 
thanks much. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you. And as I mentioned, uh, please do join us on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and on Twitter. And uh, please subscribe to the show. You can subscribe on iTunes, and you can also subscribe on YouTube, uh, especially uh, take notice of Ask Michael Bull every day. I do a one-minute video asking a commercial real estate question that comes from listeners or it comes from the press or it comes from our own clients, and you can look through those and uh, just watch the ones of interest to you. And be sure to join us next week. We're going to talk about 24-hour cities with Hugh Kelly. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Valuate, easily share what-if analysis with colleagues online. And First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For more information on how these businesses may be of service to you, visit CREshow.com.